Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. As we continue in our series of the Gospel of Luke, we will begin this morning with verse 26 through verses 39. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Please give it your full attention. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus... He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Thus far God's holy word. You may be seated. Let us go to God in prayer. Our most holy God, we pray that we might hold dear your most holy word to us. That we might, as Peter says, crave it 
as newborn babes crave their mother's milk. Let us crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. And we pray, Lord, that as we crave it, that you would nourish us by it. For by it we live and grow. May we come to understand the truths of your word that we might glorify you in all that we do. And may we then proclaim that word to those who have not heard. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over a week ago, we celebrated our Harvest Home Festival or, or event, which is where we take up our annual thank offering that supports missions, both foreign and home missions. And the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, along with many other denominations, finds missions to be extremely important. And I think that the, the OPC reveals this by supporting, by fully funding their missionaries. They fully support their missionaries rather than making their missionaries raise funds for themselves. Outside the room here, on a wall, there in the hallway, there are a list of cards. Those cards are free for you to pick up and take home with you. And on those cards, uh, there are brief profiles of our missionaries and where they are missioning. And in our denomination's monthly magazine, The New Horizons, consistently they announce where our home mission churches are and the evangelists who are planting those churches. And there's also a, a monthly newsletter that's sent out to me. I usually post that on the wall outside in the hall as well. Maybe I should also uh, put those in as an insert in our bulletins once a month as well. But all of this information is important so that you can be praying for them. You can write to them if you like and let them know of, of your prayers for them and of uh, your support for them. And of course you can support them by giving to the Think Offering each year. Missions is important because the spread of the gospel is important. It is the church's mission. Ultimately, our mission is to glorify God. But God is glorified each time that a sinner repents. And that only comes by the preaching and the proclamation of the word. As it is spread throughout the world. And so the church's mission is aligned with the very mission of God. Which began in the Garden of Eden. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell in sin, the world came under bondage and the oppression of Satan and sin. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31. 
And Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. The sin of Adam brought the whole world under Satan's dominion. But God promised... In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, that another Adam, another man would come who would not sin like Adam had sinned. But through his obedience, he would crush the head of the serpent, the ancient serpent, Satan. God's mission then would be to set his people free from the captivity of Satan and sin. Well, Jesus has already revealed himself in this gospel, in the gospel of Luke, to be the man who would come and crush the head of the serpent. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus proved that he would not succumb to Satan's temptation as Adam had in the garden. And then, just after his success from being tempted by the devil, he entered the synagogue there in Nazareth. And he proclaimed, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The mission to redeem a people from their bondage to sin and Satan had begun. And that work would ultimately be accomplished by our Savior on the cross. But there is another aspect to the mission of God. Perhaps we could say that it is a result of the mission of God. And that is the restoration of God's image in man. When Satan tempted our first parents to sin, it was an attack on man's image likeness to God. Man glorifies God when he reflects God's image in this world. Tertullian, the great second and third century theologian, once said that the glory of God is a man fully alive. End quote. The glory of God is a man fully alive. Because a man who is fully alive is one who fully reflects God's image in this world. He gives God the glory by reflecting his image in the world. But Satan intended to destroy man through death. So that he could not reflect God's image In the world. Because Satan hates God, he seeks to deform and disfigure the image of God in man. And this is 
of course, accomplished when through temptation he seduces man into sin. It is probably safe to say that the image of God in man is no more distorted and disfigured than through demon possession, which we will see in our text this morning. When Christ came to redeem his people from their bondage, it included a renewal and restoration in the image of God. And the church's mission is, of course, aligned with all of these things. It is to spread the good news of the gospel so that by God's word and spirit, he can redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from their bondage and to renew them in the image of God. This passage in Luke shows not only how distorted the image of God in man had become, but it also displays the power of Christ in two ways. First, to rebuke satanic opposition, and second, to renew the image of God in man. It shows Christ to be the one who had accomplished the mission that was first told in Genesis 3.15. And it also shows how his mission is continued today by his people. More specifically, how he accomplishes his mission through the church. As we look at this passage this morning, we're going to do so in three sections. The first section is the madman in the tombs. The second section, the money is not what matters. And the third, the mission field at home. The mission field at home. Well, as we turn now to our passage, I want to remind you that last week we learned that Jesus and the disciples had got into a boat to sail to the other side of the Galilean Sea. But in the middle of their journey, a violent storm broke out that caused the disciples to fear that they were perishing. And so they awoke Jesus who rebuked the winds and the waves and they immediately were calm. In that passage, we noted that scripture often symbolically portrays the sea as a satanic realm of evil. Well, it should be no surprise to us then that immediately after Jesus and the disciples get off the boat, they run into a demon-possessed man. This poor man had been reduced to living a wretched lifestyle, both physically and morally. He was living naked in a graveyard. Mark's gospel tells us even more about this man who had been possessed. He writes that no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself 
with stones. Physically, Arkent Hughes describes that this poor naked man was a mass of bleeding lacerations, scabs, infections, and scar tissue, living in a delirium of pain and masochistic displeasure. This man was wild, naked, unkempt, and ill. But worse than all of this was his spiritual condition. Cyril of Alexandria described him this way. In great misery and nakedness, he he wandered among the graves of the dead. He was in utter wretchedness, leading a disgraceful life, deprived of every blessing, destitute of all sobriety, and entirely deprived even of reason. It was the possession of demons that had caused him to live this way. But I think that this is a great picture of what sin in general does to all of us. To all of humanity. Not that every man is demon possessed, but sin does these very things to all of us. It leaves us feeling naked as it exposes our guilt. It alienates us from others and especially God. It can make us angry and aggressive, as was this man. Ultimately, it causes us to walk around in spiritual deadness. That is what sin has brought about for all of those who have come from Adam. We are all dead in our trespasses and sin. And spiritually speaking, we resemble this demoniac madman. That is what humanity is who descends from Adam as a result of his sin. As Luke tells this account, he wants us to know that Jesus is the answer for all of this. He is the answer for sin and evil. And so here is what happens between Jesus and this madman. Jesus asked his name. And the demon that answered said that his name was Legion. And Luke tells us the reason is because many demons had entered into this man. Now, if you're not familiar with the word legion, it was a Roman military term for an army of 6,000 soldiers. And we're not sure if there were 6,000 demons in this man or not. The demon who spoke could have used this term figuratively to speak of a large number of demons, to, to represent a whole host or a whole army of demons that had come to possess this man. But if the number of pigs that they were cast into is any indication of how many demons had entered him, then he had at least 2,000 demons. For Mark tells us that there were around 2,000 pigs in the herd. 
The man was severely oppressed by this satanic activity, by these demons. And demon possession is is a very peculiar thing. It's interesting that we hardly find any cases of demon possession in the Old Testament. There are two or three, but they're very unique and, and different from what we find quite frequently in the Gospels. And contrary to what many will tell you, we don't find much demon possession, at least not in this manner today. Perhaps among the occult, in Satanism, but not quite the same, oftentimes. And during the time of Christ, we find it to be much different. Their activity is much greater in terms of demon possession. And it would make sense for demonic activity to be heightened during the coming of Christ. And perhaps it will be heightened again before His second coming. Demons are fallen angels who serve Satan, the prince of darkness. And they hate God. They hate His church and they hate all that is good. Now demonic activity may look different oftentimes today than it did in the day of Christ. But we cannot disregard the reality of demons. Christians many times will either overestimate or underestimate the activity of demons in this world. Some disregard them altogether and treat them as if they don't exist. Others, on the other hand, become so consumed with demons that they spend all of their time fretting over them and spending their time thinking of them that you begin to wonder where Christ is in their lives. One of the churches I pastored at when I was a youth minister had become consumed with demons so much that that some of them felt like they were not actually continuing Christ's mission if they were not seeking out those who were demon-possessed and performing exorcisms on them. And it was interesting how everything they began to do was a result of demonic activity. They fired our senior pastor because he was demon-possessed. They claimed to have cast out a demon from a lady who was a member of our church. The music leader had to play certain songs because the demons were attacking the the music team. We don't want to get caught up on either side of these extremes because that is precisely what Satan and his minions want. You see, to disregard them altogether makes their activity activity easier to be accomplished without being detected. On the other hand, when our focus is centered on them, we lose track of the gospel and forget to make Jesus central in our lives. This is what I think the failure of the church while I was pastoring, where where they had uh, failed, was in focusing so much on them that they had lost sight of Christ and the gospel. Demons are real, and they seek to destroy man. 
But before we begin to blame everything on Satan and the demons, we must remember that our own sinful condition can lead us into gross living, very similar to the demoniac in this passage. Sure, Satan can tempt us, but James tells us in his letter that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so here's what we can say. Between Satan and all of his forces, combined with our own sinful nature, man is in a lot of trouble. Just like the demoniac here in our passage, man is in much trouble. But as John says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is shown to be true by our passage this morning. And it appears that the demons knew that this was the case as well. They begged Jesus not to make them depart into the abyss. In Matthew's account, they even say, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to to torment us before the time? The Greek word there for time is kairos. It's an appointed time. It was a time appointed by God from before the foundations of the world. And they knew all about it. They knew who Christ was. They knew that he was the son of the most high God. And they knew that he was their executioner. They knew what their final fate would be. They knew that they would eventually be thrown into hell. But they knew the time was not yet. It was not the appointed time for this to happen. And so they begged Jesus to let them enter the nearby herd of swine. And by permission, with just a simple command, he cast the demons out of the man. And into the swine. Jesus had authority over the powers of darkness. He had come to destroy the works of the devil and the works of those who serve him. What great authority he has. He possesses authority that no other man had ever possessed. When these demons encountered Jesus, it says they trembled with fear, begging Jesus not to torment them. And instantaneously, he casted the demons out of this man. What power and authority Jesus has. But just as easily as he cast those demons Out of that man is as easily as he can remove your sin and guilt. And this is true because of what Christ accomplished through his obedience. 
obedience even unto death on a cross. Jesus is the snake crusher. He did not fall prey to Satan's temptation in the wilderness the way Adam did in the garden. In this way, he lived a life of obedience to the Father. But that obedience took him all the way to the cross where he laid down his life for the many. By removing the sins of his people, he defeated the work of the devil. He crushed the devil's head. The death blow has been given. D-Day has already arrived. Satan has found himself in a checkmate position. He has been defeated. The victory has been won. Now the Lord has given him just a little more time. Which the demons recognized in this passage. But on the last day, he will be thrown into the lake of fire the place of eternal torment that the demons refer to in this passage. You see, the casting out of these demons into the swine that drowned in that sea is a picture of what will happen at the return of Christ when he will cast all of Satan's demons in the lake of fire along with Satan himself and all Who serve him. So what does all of this mean. For you. And for me. Well. We can answer that question. By asking what it meant. For those there. That day. And unfortunately for most of them. The result was not good. The text tells us that the swine herders went and told everything they saw to the people in the city and in all of their country. And when all of the people went out to see what had happened, they asked Jesus to leave. Why? Why would they ask him to leave when they saw the healing of this demoniac man? man that probably scared them to death as he ran around the tombs cutting himself and crying out. And here he was healed and they asked Jesus to leave. The text says they were seized with great fear. Unfortunately for the Gerasenes, Their fear was not the same kind of fear that the disciples had in the boat with Jesus in the previous passage. They did not experience the type of fear that results in reverence and awe in the sovereign Lord. It appears that they feared the results that might come if Jesus were to stay. To lose 2,000 swine in a day is a big economic loss if you're a pig farmer. And it seems that they would rather have a madman roaming around in their tombs than to lose all of their swine money. 
They were not interested in the spiritual gains that would occur with the presence of Jesus. They were concerned with the financial losses they might have if he stayed. It was the money that mattered to them. John Oxenham, an English novelist and poet, once composed a piece on this passage writing, Rabbi, be gone, thy powers bring loss to us in ours. Our ways are not as thine, thou lovest men, we swine. O oh, get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole, since we have lost our swine? This was what they cared for the most. But maybe their fear had to do with something more than just their fear of economic loss. The text notes that it was after they saw the man sitting at Jesus' feet, completely healed of the demons, that they were seized with fear. Perhaps it was not just the economic change that they feared, but the change of their whole culture. Specifically with respect to their spirituality and morals. See, they lived in darkness and the light of the world had come before them. He would shed light on their evil deeds and expose all of their sins. They loved the darkness and therefore they rejected the light. They were more at home with men who walked among the tombs than they were with the one who could give them life by the light of the gospel. This passage invites us to ask if we are like the Gerasenes, more comfortable with our own deadness in sin than we are with the life that is found in Jesus Christ. Are we more comfortable with darkness than we are with walking in the light as he is in the light? Are we more comfortable with our money, our wealth, our earthly pleasures than we are with the forgiveness of sins and the removal of our guilt? If so, then we relate to the garrisons in this passage. Believe it or not, beloved, I would rather be like the demon-possessed man in this passage. Because in the end, he was being renewed in the image of God. Daryl Bach summarizes the dramatic renewal that this man experienced. He writes... In a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor. He is now clothed. Whereas before he had been naked. He is now seated. Whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associated with others as he sits at Jesus' feet. Whereas before he sought solitude. He is now of sound mind. Whereas before he had been crying out in a loud voice. 
He is now comfortable in the presence of Jesus, whereas before he wanted nothing to do with him. Satan and sin have distorted and disfigured the image of God in this man, but Jesus was renewing him in his image. And this is what he can do for you and me as well. Since the fall, the image of God in all of humanity has been marred and disfigured. This too was a work of the devil. But Christ came to destroy his works. He has come to claim a people for himself and to renew them in the likeness of God after true holiness, righteousness, and knowledge. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, then he is doing this for you as well. He is renewing you in the image of God and he continues to do so throughout your life. Until you stand before him someday completely glorified. He does this throughout your life in many ways. The primary way is through the reading and studying of the word of God. As you hear his word preached every Lord's day. He is renewing you. In the image of God. He is renewing your mind. You see before you knew the Lord. Your mind was more in tune with the demoniac man in this passage. Than it was with Christ. But now we have been given the mind of Christ. Before we had received Christ we were naked. And our guilt was exposed. But we have now been clothed. Christ. J.C. Ryle says, Never is a man in his right mind till he is converted, or in his right place till he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus, or rightly clothed till he has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be renewed in the image of of God, And it means that we have a new life to live. Just as the once possessed man in this passage now had a new life to live. Romans chapter 13 verses 12 through 14 says. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, because we have been freed from the bondage of sin and Satan, this is how we ought to live. Because Christ has clothed us with himself, we can walk in the light as he 
is in the light. But I think this passage tells us one more thing about our new life in Christ. When Jesus accepted the Gerasenes' request to leave, the formerly demon-possessed man began to beg Jesus to let him go with him. When he was possessed, he begged Jesus not to torture him, and now he begs Jesus that he might go with him. Just imagine yourself in his condition for just a moment. Jesus has healed you for madness. He wants to be with his Savior. He wants to follow him and learn from him. And he begs Jesus to let him stay with him and to go where he goes. But Jesus said no. He told the man, To return home and declare how much God has done for you. How amazing is God's grace. Not just because he healed this demon possessed man. But because even when he was rejected. He still left someone. To proclaim the good news to those who had rejected him. The Gerasenes had demanded that Jesus leave. They did not want him in their country, and so he left. But though he left rejected, he did not leave them without a witness. And this is likely a sign of the inclusion of the Gentiles. As this was Gentile territory, which is why, by the way, they had large herds of swine. Jews would not typically have had anything to do with pigs. They were unclean. This was a Gentile region. The gospel would go out to the Gentiles. And Jesus shows that not only by going to them himself, but by leading them with a witness. He says, go and tell them all that God has done for you. And that's what it says. And he went and he told them what Jesus had done for him. Go tell them what God has done for you. And he told them what Jesus had done for him. God in the flesh, bringing the light of his gospel and leaving these people with a witness. This man himself would be a light in a dark place. He would be the missionary to the Gerasenes. Yet he himself was a Gerasene. And this shows us that missions begins at home. It is why we have home missions in the OPC. It is why you can be a missionary even though you don't travel to foreign lands to preach the gospel. The other disciples were sent out to proclaim. They traveled everywhere Jesus went. They they studied under him. And they went and they proclaimed the good news everywhere they went. And after the ascension, they traveled even further. 
But this man was to stay home and tell everyone what God had done for him. Beloved, much of Amarillo has rejected the Lord. But he has been gracious to them by giving them you. Some were meant to have special training and to be sent to foreign lands like the disciples, but some were meant to stay at home and tell everyone they know about what Jesus has done for them. No matter which one you are, you have been proclaimed, you have been commissioned to proclaim the good news so that Satan and his demons will be banished from the hearts and lives of God's people as they are renewed in his image. To him be all glory, power, and dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sent to us Jesus Christ, God the Son, the eternal Son, having taken on flesh, that he might redeem fallen people. We thank you, Lord, that we are yours, that you have chosen us from before the foundations of the world in Christ and have sent Christ into the world that he who knew no sin might become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we pray, Lord, that as you continually renew us in the image of Christ, our Savior, that we will shine forth your glory in the darkness. We know the darkness is passing away and that the true light has come. We know that victory has already been accomplished. May we live lives, our lives in a victorious manner. We pray this in Jesus' name.